Listener supported. WNYC Studios. The voice is just incredible, thick honey river. There is just like an oil which just covers your body around it, and you don't even realize that suddenly it's everywhere around you. From WQXR in the Metropolitan Opera, this is Aria Code. I'm Rhiannon Giddens. As she sings, it's almost as if she's slowly removing her clothing, one note at a time. My mission? Break down one famous aria so you can hear it with fresh ears. On this episode is Mon Coeur S'ouvre à ta voix, from Sanson et Dalila by Camille Sanson. We think she really loves him. And then in the following scene, vengeance is all she's after. And we see just how terrifyingly treacherous she is. The femme fatale. She seduces, she ensnares, and sometimes she destroys men. It's kind of an ugly cliché, but it's one that's stuck around for as long as we've been telling stories. I'm not really a fan of it myself. I prefer more of an ass-kicking lady, like the girl with the dragon tattoo, for example. But the femme fatale makes for good drama, which is why, of course, we find her in opera. We've got Carmen, Lulu, and the one we borrowed from the Bible, Delilah. Well, in French, it's Dalila. She seduces her ex-lover Samson for cold, hard cash. And then she betrays and destroys him, leaving him blind and with a really bad haircut. Sansoy Dalila is based on the biblical story. And in Act 2, when Dalila seduces Sanson, we hear one hell of a gorgeous aria, Mon cœur s'ouvre à ta voix. It sounds like a love song, but below the surface, it's simmering with seduction and betrayal. You know, the juicy stuff. I wanted to crash course in how Dalila weaves her deadly web and why it works so well in this song. So I put together a mean team of opera decoders. We've got a singer, a writer, and a professor. The singer is mezzo-soprano Elena Garancha. My daughter today, she said, why do you like singing? And I said, I love that moment where I feel that I can connect. That for me is the best reward for being on a stage. I can relate. The writer is James Jordan. I think it's fair to call Moncur Souffratavoua the signature aria of the femme fatale in opera. It is all about seduction. He's the editor and publisher of Parterre Box, the world's first opera blog. And would you believe he sang this aria himself once upon a time? Oh! Uh, I loved to sing that. That was great. That G-flat was just wonderful in my voice in those days. Now I don't sing anymore. And the professor is Caroline Blythe, a lecturer in religious studies at the University of Auckland in New Zealand. She studies biblical themes in contemporary culture. I've spent the past eight years researching Delilah, and I can safely say that we've become best friends. So let's get this decode party started. Mon cœur s'ouvre à ta voix from Sanson et Dalila. Samson is the leader of the Israelites. Dalila is sent by an opposing party to seduce him and to find out the secret of his great power. She finds it out, which is his hair. Samson gives Dalila a bit of a backstory with Samson, which is not in the Bible story at all. 
he presents her as a former love interest of Samson. They were lovers in the past, but Samson has then made the decision at some point to leave Delilah and turn his full attention to doing God's work. And Delilah is just incandescent with rage. No man can leave Delilah. So she sets about seeking her revenge on her former lover. And that's the real motivation that lies at the heart of this opera. Delilah wants vengeance on Samson. Delilah has a certain task that she has to fulfill. However, she's full of admiration for Samson, I think. And, and this is how it very often happens in the life the two people meet, they know it won't end well. And somehow the attraction, admiration, passion, love uh, is just so strong that it's unavoidable, you know. So these people come together and one of them has to crash. Right before this aria begins, Dalila has made, I guess you'd call it a date, to meet with Samson because he's so fascinated with her. Samson arrives And the first thing Dalilah does is to say, go away, you don't love me anymore. The aria is about seduction, making Samson fascinated with Dalilah. She does this by relating how attracted she is to Samson. And so what we have is, you know, a meeting of two former lovers and Delilah wants vengeance on Samson because he dared to leave her when she loved him so much. So it's partly a desire to help out her people and, and to be a patriotic Philistine, but also there's a, a personal motivation there as well that we can't really ignore. And we just see how powerful Delilah is because he just turns into this lily-livered, jelly-kneed man who cannot resist her charms. So once he is interested in her and fascinated by her, then she softens and she starts talking about how her heart is opening like a flower in the first lyric of the aria. I think that you can hear the seduction of Delala in the music. First of all, it's the structure of the orchestra who has all the time this kind of a palpitation. The accompaniment at the beginning of the aria is based on a fast-moving figure, a sort of pattering sound, very soft, that starts very low and moves upward and then back down again. It goes through all the instruments of the orchestra. Everybody has a crack at this lovely figure because it does go on through the whole aria. It gets louder, it gets softer, it gets higher, it's lower. What I hear is a heart beating really fast and this sort of shallow beating that you get when you're nervous and you're shy and you want to present yourself to someone in an attractive way. I think it's like breathing in and breathing out. It really is just the feeling of, <sighs> okay, I'm going to start. And I think, you know, obviously 
being seductive is not always very easy just to go and say, I want you, I love you, you know, come. So you need to find the right words. And I think for her, while she's breathing in and breathing out, she also searches for the words how to start to say whatever she has to say. My heart opens to your voice like the flowers open to the kisses of the dawn. The imagery and the poetry of the text is very sensuous and very based in nature. I think the poet, Le Maire, who wrote the libretto, is consciously imitating Bible verses, that he's actually trying to write something that is an imitation of Psalms or the Song of Solomon, where there's a strong use of nature imagery in that scripture. And that idea of a flower opening conjures up all sorts of ideas of eroticism and desire. And in the Bible, these images, flowers, fruit, nature, are all kind of very sexualized. So I think the start of this aria really taps into that eroticism. It's all very very rich and very fantasyful, you know, it's esoteric. It's not daily language. It wouldn't be something which evoke you to be realistic, but just, you know, trying to connect in the spiritual and in the sensual way. Sensuality is a sensation that you give between lines, it's a certain electricity, it's a certain mental desire that you're kind of trying to transmit. You know, it's a millisecond of smell of something that you look at the person, you know, you're going to like him or you will not like him. But that first millisecond that we cannot control. Between the verse and the chorus, there are a couple of changes that go on. One is that uh, it goes into a different time signature and it also slows down. The change from the 3-4 time to the 4-4 time and also the change in tempo means that the music relaxes a bit. So it's almost like Dalila has been standing up presenting her position, and now she's leaning back on the couch and sort of just letting it pour out. The Dalila as the voice is just incredible, thick, honey river, who just goes, you know, and, and smoothly takes every curve, and there is just like an oil which just covers your body around it, and you don't even realize that suddenly it's everywhere around you. And it also has this slowly descending chromatic scale. You start on the one longer note and then just slowly slide down on the scale and, and make it more and more intimate.
The music has the chromatic sort of slithering sensation as Delilah wraps herself round Samson and it's wonderful the way that the music emulates that serpentine quality of Delilah. Any talk of a serpent might harken back to the book of Genesis and the story of Adam and Eve and the serpent becomes seen as a symbol of evil and temptation. A chromatic scale is the scale you would play if you used both the black keys and the white keys on the piano. Because it has these extra added notes that the ear doesn't necessarily expect, it's sort of teasing and tantalizing. Chromatics in a woman's voice always means sex. So somehow the composers obviously thought that the chromatisms going from top to down must mean that it's sexy, <laughs> seductive. Dalila in this aria has a lot in common with Carmen in her most important aria, the habanera. Uh, the refrain in each case is this slow, chromatic, descending melody. It's slightly different in the habanera than it is here. It's obviously not exactly the same tune. So in a way, the melodies are sisters just as Dalila and Carmen are sisters. They're both femme fatale. During this time period at the end of the, the 19th century in Europe, there was a, a kind of development of the character of the femme fatale that became really popular in the art of the time. Women were starting to kind of make some more demands for social, uh, sexual and legal agency. And I think this became a real cause for concern during this period. The concept of the femme fatale was a very early and mostly erroneous attempt on the part of men to understand how women's sexuality worked. And then men felt sexually attracted to women and they didn't understand why that happened. And so instead of looking inside themselves, they thought these women must have some kind of magical power that draws me to them, that causes me to do things that you know are destructive to me personally and ruin my family and all these other things. So in a way, they projected their own sexuality onto the femme fatale. Her power is understood to lie in her sexuality, and I think that's key to understanding this character. The way that she can destroy men is by luring them into this erotic, sticky web of sensuality. Men will know that she is utterly dangerous and that she's going to destroy them, but they can't resist her, and I think that's where her power lies. Every strong woman has a moment of doubt because it's very hard to be powerful all the time. And I think that those doubts, to bring them out, you have to have a lot of courage on every day because nobody wants to be seen vulnerable, particularly if you're considered to be a strong woman. But I think for the character, if you play it on the stage, it becomes very interesting because it gives a new dimension. And I try to find, even if it's just for the split of second, just to show a little moment where maybe she is just a normal woman and not this incredibly powerful, calculative destroyer the machine of, of destruction, you know? And, and it makes my character actually interesting because I have to be very honest, if you just purely look from one dimension, it's not an interesting character. It's not because she doesn't change from the beginning until the end. So for me to make it interesting, I need to find my reasoning and I try to imagine and that's the beauty of the theatre. Everything is open to interpretation. Like one sees the blades of wheat that wave in the light wind, so trembles my heart, ready to be consoled by your voice that is so dear to me. In the second verse of the aria, the accompaniment is changed slightly from the first verse, and there's a sort of whirling sound that comes into the music that could be 
the sound of the wind going through the wheat. There's a repeated motif played by flutes that symbolizes breeze. It reminds me, anyway, of that sort of shifting, restless spirit, the passion that blows over us and that we can maybe feel on our skin as well as in our heart. She starts to become more urgent in her rhythmical expression, which I think demonstrates even stronger urge of achieving what she has to achieve. So Delilah embodies this breeze that as it grows in strength, it becomes more and more dangerous. And she's like this sort of tornado of passion. And that's something that gets sort of more powerful as we draw nearer and nearer to Samson's betrayal. But he also suggests this exotic music where uh, a flute would play very rapid scales. This is the sort of music that you might hear or might have heard of coming from the Middle East or from Asia. People were traveling more, and because Napoleon was going from Europe through the Middle East, conquering places, there was much more interest and much more knowledge about places outside of Europe. And so people were becoming more interested, like, what is happening in Egypt? What is a pyramid? What is a sphinx? And so even if Sasson didn't go to these places, word was coming back. It was a time of colonialism and colonial expansion and imperialism. And there was a kind of fascination and fear with foreign women and, and foreign lands. Foreign women became seen as something desirable to plunder, to colonize, to capture. Sexually fascinating, but also quite dangerous. And so making Delilah this exotic, erotic foreign woman just made her that little bit more dangerous. And I think that comes out really strongly in the setting and also the music. This aria also calls for a really beautiful and sustained legato on the part of the mezzo-soprano. Legato is the art of connecting one note to the next seamlessly so that you don't get the sense of note, 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 but a beautiful sort of paragraph of sound, a beautiful wave or curve of sound. It's very difficult to do, especially in this aria where the phrases are so very long. It's a crucial uh, for this aria to have a really impeccable legato. <laughs> on top of this nervous, if you want to say, orchestra, you want to have a line which just never ends. You just have this permanent slow-motion snowball, you know, which just goes and goes and grows and grows and grows until the highest point of it. It doesn't have a, a very high note where, you know, you could impress the people by the brilliance of the sound or something. It's just a very body-like ecstasy scream.
And so as she sings, it's almost as if she's slowly removing her clothing. She starts out in the middle part of the voice and then goes into an even more glamorous part of the voice and reveals each part of the voice slowly, one note at a time. At the end of the opera, Samson destroys the temple and Delilah is there at the temple and we know that she dies there. I think in in many femme fatale narratives, we often see the femme fatale either being destroyed or redeemed because it's almost as though she's too dangerous to survive. And so what Samson's done is he's killed her off. He cannot let Delilah win. I do believe that there is a moment where she generally wishes that they could just stay in this glass bowl, you know, and and being protected uh, from everything else and they could live happily ever after, so to say. I want to believe that she really means it because otherwise it really is not a very nice character to play. (laughs) I also believe that everybody has two sides, three or four sides in there. You cannot be just a cold-blooded murderer. Moncur Suvratavoir is an aria that all mezzo-sopranos want to sing, and basically every other voice type would sing if they could. It is a gorgeous melody. It shows off the voice beautifully, and it has a wonderful, natural kind of beauty. In other words, when you hear it, you think, oh, I've always known this piece. It sounds like something you never had to hear for the first time. Had Sanson and Lemaire asked me what I thought about Delilah in this opera, On the one hand, I would have said, she's amazing. (laughs) She's fantastic. I love the fact that you've created this incredibly passionate woman, a woman that's emotional, but also powerful and strong. I would love to have that power myself. At the same time, why did you make her die at the end? I would have said, keep her alive. Let's see her sort of striding off in the distance, off to enjoy a better life. See? It's a lot more than just a gorgeous love song. And it makes somebody like me, who doesn't really like the femme fatale storyline, it's not really my thing, and it it makes me love it because it's opera. (laughs) And that's what opera does, because it's magic. Now let's hear Elena sing it.
That was Alina Garantra singing Mon Coeur Souvera Ta Voix from Sanson et Dalila by Camille Sanson. That's it for this episode of Aria Code. This show is a co-production of WQXR and the Metropolitan Opera. Our producer is Marin Lazian. Brendan Francis Noonan is our editor, and Matt Abramovitz is our executive producer. Mixing and sound design by Matt Boynton and original music by Hannes Brown. Our team also includes Krista Ripple and Ricardo Quinones. Special thanks to Alina Garancha, James Jordan, and Caroline Blythe for their insights. Join me next time as we climb the Mount Everest of tenor arias. Will we make it? I consider opera singers as athletes because we are athletes. Singing those nine high seeds, it will be like making nine quarterback sacks in the NFL. If you don't have that first C, kiss today, goodbye. <laughs> I mean, it's the pressure is really, really high. I'm Rhiannon Giddens. See you next time. And toda. That's Hebrew for thank you. <laughs>